Hey everyone, welcome back to Navigating Netflix Originals. As always, I'm Madison, and as always, I am joined by Jamie. Hello. <laughs> I love that your voice is getting lower as mine is as well. <laughs> um, so today, for our discussion, we are going to be talking about the Netflix original series Explained again. And if you listened to the last episode, we picked out five episodes um, from it to discuss. And we've done the same thing this time. We've picked out five new episodes to talk about. Um, And this time we tried to kind of create a theme with them. Um, We picked out five episodes that we thought would kind of go more cohesively together than the last ones were just random and all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess what, what would you consider our theme to be? I think our theme, generally speaking, is um, I, I I would say that it's kind of um, beauty meets how to stay young, how yes. to stay young and be and, attractive. Yes, and and, <laughs> and and the ways that we like try to avoid death and understand mm-hmm. time in society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, So the the episodes that we'll be discussing um, are as follows. From season one, Tattoo and Can We Live Forever. From season two, Beauty. And from season three, Time and Plastic Surgery. Mm -hmm. So... I think they are. Do you want to do you want to discuss them in any specific order or just the order that they were aired? Um, let's go largely in the order that they were aired, but let's leave the um, can we live forever until the end. Okay, that works. So we'll start with tattoo. <laughs> start with the tattoos. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, tattoos have been um, around. For thousands of years, um, as they said in the episode, they found mummies that were more than 5,000 years old that have, you know, very primitive tattoo on the skin. Um, so they certainly, it's it's a way of self-expression that has survived the ages. <laughs> yeah, which is great. And it's, um, you know, it's interesting to see the way in which, like, you know, obviously back then, like, tattoos were a large sign of, like, honor or accomplishment, right? And we learn in the right. series, too, that in other um, communities, like Tahitian communities and stuff like that, traditional tattoos to mark different life events were just very, very common up until Europeans destroyed everything, which they tend to do. Um, right. And uh, so it's only just, like, recently in the last, like, what, 50 years or so that, like, tattoos are slow or even, like, 30 or not very many years that tattoos are starting to like become popular again after this sort of like societal su- like oppression <laughs> of yes. tattoos. It's just very curious to see. Um, and I, I even remember, and I don't know if you remember or like have any experiences feeling this way, but like as a child, I remember seeing people with tattoos and thinking, Oh, you know, that person is edgy and, 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 you know, not like, bad but like kind of you have this impression that they are more of like likely to be a criminal or something like that like that it was of of, from a class of people that that were bad somehow yeah (laughs) like like in my child mind you know like that was the impression that i i used to have now i have three tattoos clearly that (laughs) over the years but like i do remember a time when i was young thinking that tattoos were if you saw them on people it was like 
they were rebels and you know you don't want to yeah. be associated with them kind of thing yeah i think rebels the better way to say that because i mean that's just what we were always presented in media too right like it's always yeah. like i feel like i just think of the movies like um greece or something <laughs> something right. where there's like the people associated like greasers right with leather jackets and like quaffed hair and it's always right. them who had the tattoos right and everyone else was very like clean cut and had nothing yeah but and yeah i mean I, nowadays everyone has a tattoo like every <laughs> every yeah. person i mean i think that i was probably the first person or one of the first people at least in my family to get a tattoo i'm not sure if colleen got one before me or not i want to say that i got mine first because mm. we got ours right away you and me got tattoos together on when we were 18 so yeah i think that i got my first tattoo before she got her first one but it was a close call <laughs> yeah 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 but um yeah um yeah, I'm not sure either. But they said something interesting, which reminded me kind of of you a little bit, is that they're talking about the soldiers or the sailors, and how like in the U.S. predominantly it was sailors who were associated with tattoos for a while um, from like the 50s upward. Um, and how, you know, some of them would just uh, use the tattoos as sort of a marker of where they'd been. And so they'd be yeah. like, oh, if I was like, you know, in Germany, I'll get a tattoo because I'm in Germany. And I remember for a little bit you had talked about like, you know, that being maybe something you would do when you traveled is like <laughs> get a tattoo to mark like a, like a memorable travel experience or something. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it is what I did with the one tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I didn't just talk about it. I actually did it. Um, I mean, technically I speaking, your second one, your other one, too, I guess third one was also a travel experience, a travel to New York City. Well, yeah, <laughs> but the tattoo itself is not reflective of having been True. in New York. But like the second one, I got the word imagine tattooed across my ankle. And we like when I was in Ireland for spring break, we traveled to Liverpool and we visited like the Beatles Museum. I'm very into the Beatles because one of my other tattoos also is from the Beatles. Um, and so, like, when we were in Liverpool, I got the tattoo of the word Imagine, which is one of the songs um, written by John Lennon, above my ankle. Um, so that was, you know, very, like, because we were in Liverpool in, in England, you know, I got this tattoo. It wasn't planned at all. We just kind of decided one day we were going to go and get tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'm going to get this. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. No, yeah, no, no, no regrets. Um, no regrets. <laughs> but I, yeah, I love that idea of collecting things as you go. And it's true that, like, I keep an eye on Instagram of some artists that, like, some tattoo artists that pop up occasionally that are, like, in France or Germany. And I'm like, ooh, that could be cool to, like, you know, next time, we're, you know, when we can travel again freely, you know, to be able to go there and incorporate that as part of the trip overall. Yeah. Um, but like to get another tattoo before we're able to travel freely again but yeah i don't want right. to that long who knows how long that's gonna be right <laughs> true <laughs> um but yeah i mean generally speaking the episode goes through also like other cultural milestones of spreading tattoos as sort of like a, an art form including the circus of course or like yeah. sideshow <laughs> carnivals were big and making us realize or see um tattoos around the around the u.s at least um but yeah, I mean, I like, I, go ahead. I was gonna say, I like that one of the things they talked about um, with like tattoos in, especially in like older cultures being like a rite of passage because yeah. you had to withstand a lot of pain 
in order to get these marks on your body. But like once you did, it, it, it was like you were considered, you know, to be fully part of the community at that point. Um, and I think, you know, that's definitely less painful today to get a tattoo than it was back then. You know, they were, it was a lot slower. And I think the, the methods of tattooing people were a lot more painful than they are now. Mm-hmm. But it's still not like, you know, it doesn't tickle. It's right. still like <laughs> a painful experience to get a tattoo. And I think that my, my first impression with the first tattoo that I got was that it was more painful than I thought it was going to be, but it hurt for a lot less time than it. I thought that it would. Like, I expected it to ache kind of for, like, days, but basically as soon as he was done and wrapped it up, it didn't really hurt anymore. It was just, like, when you were having it done that it hurt. Right, yeah. And it's, and, tr- yeah, it's true that there's something special about, like, marking life events with not necessarily with pain but like you going you adding this capstone onto an experience to be like now i've commemorated this and i've had to with withstand the pain which is they were kind of like you know alluding to in the thing like not everyone can sort of or is willing to do that so it's kind of like an additional sort of like yes i've done this and i've achieved that well and i think that being willing to withstand the pain is a part of getting the tattoo you know because there's a lot of people who i think would have tattoos if they didn't hurt you know like that yeah it's not it's not the idea of marking their bodies that they don't like it's the idea that it's going to hurt to do it and so it's it is part of the experience that you know this is going to hurt and it's but you're going to have you know these marks then for the rest of your life so make sure you're serious about them before you do it yeah (laughs) and i like i I don't regret any of my tattoos i still love them all there you go yeah that's the important part but i i kind of like to sometimes because like they you know in the episodes for explained at least for this one they were occasionally would show like some random people who they clearly had interviewed about stuff and some of them were explaining their tattoos and one guy had like a chair and like you know all these sometimes people have like very random tattoos um that don't necessarily have like a lot of meaning but they still appreciate them and i'm like that's kind of cool too like you know it's it's okay if you just like it for its aesthetic but um obviously it's it feels more impactful if it has like a story or a meaning behind it and as someone who who has several tattoo ideas in mind for like you know to cap you know to put a cap on some life events or to commemorate life events i'm eager to <laughs> be in in the group of people who have many tattoos but um yeah. for other reasons i cannot currently but one no, day but as soon as you are able to we will go and get <laughs> tattoos together i have an idea for my next tattoo as well but i will wait to get it and awesome. i'll get it with you perfect perfect um i liked the last thing i'll say about tattoos um is that or we can continue but um i i like that uh they made a point of showing you know like in uh tahiti and like traditional tattoos for example and samoa and things like that they have um they're all like very geometric shapes because those were the easiest sort of thing in lines which are just the easiest thing to do right like they didn't have very elaborate sort of pictures of things because it's you know it, it takes uh it's just like a lot more in depth to do stuff like that but i love the right. intricacy still of the line work and i love that like they drew everything from nature right so like they would have a centipede to represent like community togetherness or they would have whatever to represent other things like i thought that was really cool and i do like how a lot of those sort of geometric tattoos look like that um although i feel like i would never get one out of you know cult- to, in order to not to, culturally appropriate <laughs> tattoos yeah, 
I feel like that wouldn't be something that would be like apply to our lives at all, and it would just kind of be tacky to like get these tribal tattoos that we're not a part of. Yeah, <laughs> they're cool to look at. <laughs> yeah, they're very neat looking. But, I do um, like that um, the one guy mentioned as well that like back you know many hundreds of years ago, um, the tattoos were used to kind of like show other group like other mm. tribes which tribe you were from so that if you met somebody that was not part of your tribe you would know where they were from and kind of like how to uh, approach them and greet them in a respectful manner so i thought that was like kind of a cool use for tattoos yeah and i love that like one of the markers of that in the tattoo would be like what flora was available at the other side of the mountain or something so you would be able to recognize like you know, a plant um, that uh, only is only found over there, which is pretty cool. Right. But yeah, I mean, did that's, you, uh, mm-hmm. did you have any quotes from this episode? We could do quotes episode by episode. Uh, sure. The only, do you have any? I have one. Okay. You read yours. Maybe it's the same. Every, <laughs> every monkey wants to look different from the one next to it. Oh, nice. True. <laughs> My only one was, um, we have this natural impulse to mark life-changing events. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Which is true. <laughs> but yeah, we also all do want to look different. Um, which yeah. is ironic when we think about the episodes on beauty and plastic surgery. <laughs> yes, that's also true. Well, we could go into the episode on beauty next, if you would like. Let's do it. All right. So I thought um, when we first started talking about beauty that it would be more about physical beauty and like Same. why what we find attractive in other people but the episode largely talked about like what we find beautiful in art and in nature um which kind of ties into the idea of tattoos um Mm -hmm. it's not it's not artworks that you put on your body but it's what aesthetic do you surround yourself with in your home and in your life um so it certainly ties into the the idea anyways (laughs) yeah yeah i was also surprised with like the way it went um, especially because like the the preview picture is someone in a sun in a what do you call those tanning suntan yeah. booth whatever yeah. they're called um but yeah so it, i mean it's really interesting to see like you know they talk about the fact that people are like obs- you know mathematicians from ages past were all obsessed with like this idea of like the golden ratio and i think we've always we've all heard about the golden ratio and stuff yes um, being like this idea of like absolute beauty or whatever. Um, but I like that they talked about how they'd actually like tested like some of the mathematics, like people's responses to that. And it's true that like people tend to like, you know, rectangles, I guess, in a way. Um, but not any more so like really like the things that were meant to represent the golden ratio didn't have any higher responses than say some of the other things, which was interesting. Right. Um, and I think that um, they specifically talked about like using the golden ratio um, as a way of identifying beauty within like the human face. And like part of like what the study showed was that people didn't necessarily prefer the quote, like the perfect golden ratio face to one that was, you know, did not fall within those margins that we don't necessarily define beauty as perfectly symmetrical mm-hmm. when we're looking for a mate. Right. Um, and I guess like the other part about like talking about the gold, well, not really even the golden ratio, but like looking for beauty within a mate has, they talk a lot about like animals that evolved with, essentially useless like features yeah. but 
they are evolved because like the female of that species chose over millions of years of evolution you know the mouths with these odd characteristics <laughs> of their partners right like the peacocks with their gigantic tails or all these like birds that can inflate their neck for no reason whatsoever Um, they talked a lot about um birds having these features in particular but they're visible in other species as well like the i think it's the king crab maybe there's one type of crab that has like a huge claw on one of its hands and it's actually like makes it a lot harder for the crab to find food because the claw is basically useless Mm. for hunting. The only thing it can do is like knock another male's claw out of the way in battle during mating season. (laughs) Like that's its only function. So there's a lot of different animals that have evolved with useless to to actually like ranging from like useless all the way to like detrimental characteristics yeah um the females have always like collectively preferred them which is not true with humans you know not all women look for the exact same features and men to mate with um in the human species but in most other species the females look for the same you know, characteristics, the biggest, you know, tail or the biggest throat pocket (laughs) are like (laughs) things that they are like instinctually like drawn to like, which is interesting to think about. And I loved in that discussion of um, the male species being sort of like this exuberant, like having these characteristics, which ultimately evolutionarily do not help them like run better or survive better. I loved how they were talking about how, you know, Darwin was kind of like <laughs> talking about peacocks and how essentially they made him sick because they <laughs> they go against his idea of like survival of the fittest in a way, right? Or like evolutionary um, evolution for the sake of survival rather than like aesthetic, which in a right. way, I mean, you know, mating and procreation is also essential to survival of that right. species in a way. And and that's kind of like what they said, like it kind of led Darwin to change his theory of natural selection to include sexual selection, you yeah. know, that the males with the most prominent characteristics were the ones that survived and were able to pass on their genes to the next generation because those were the one, the males that the females were mating with most. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, his, his obsession with the peacock <laughs> kind of led him to to alter his theories on how evolution works. So that was interesting. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, I like when they are, you know, they're talking about how beauty is like, or I guess, uh, yeah. So there are a lot of like systems in the brain that work together to sort of identify for individual people, like what beauty is, right? And I love, I love that, that, you know, we've, we've all heard the expression, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. and I think it's very interesting that, like, we don't all view beauty in the same way. Like, someone who, you know, one person may find very attractive, the other person might be like, well, they're fine, but, you know, there's always something else, like, that attracts people differently. And I think that's a very interesting thing versus, you know, the animal kingdom, where <laughs> everyone right. just prefers the same thing. It's. Yeah, and I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not a a person who studies evolution or sexual selection at all. But I feel like part of that might be because we live in a society that is not dependent on natural selection. We don't have True. to 
think about like what what male out there is going to produce the best genes for my offspring you know like we are able to find what we like as an individual versus like what would be best for the species when we're looking for a potential partner right and of course we also have the added benefit of like other aspects of the person right um right so although you may have one ideal of like physical beauty someone else who may have like you know the a perfect personality or like very other like redeeming features you could maybe forego like your ideal of beauty because they themselves as a full person are more beautiful than like someone who just looks good i love that you say redeeming features ah that person is ugly but they've got a lot of redeeming features. i know i had a, i, had a, I didn't know how to i didn't know how to like say that but you know what i mean like I do. yeah <laughs> Because maybe you find like, you know, some actor like extremely hot or something and maybe your partner doesn't look like that. But, you know, you you're you still find your partner beautiful in a number of other ways and also attractive. But like, you know, anyway, I'll get myself out of this hole before I just die in it. But um, <laughs> but it's interesting. Um, I think the yeah, I think the other thing that I that they mentioned in this episode was how across several countries they sort of tried to figure out what people found most interesting or like what they liked looking at most in in, in art, and that they found like at least across like four countries or something that it was like the exact same thing, yeah. which is just like this. We all just like the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like this landscape of a tree and like <laughs> people and a yeah. sun, a horizon. Very simplistic, really. It was more than four countries. And I think they showed like eight different variations of like the ideal painting that was combined from like hundreds of different people answering a survey about like what they would like in, in the perfect piece of art. And it was all of them had a big body of water, some sort of rock or shelter to hide behind, some sort of tree or other plant that was giving them food. And most of them had um, a human in them wearing clothing um, or were part were part at least partially clothed and not completely nude. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we all just want like these um, Renaissance paintings. <laughs> right. And I like how they cut, they like tied it back to basically features that we found like the, when humans were first evolving, like this was one of the thing, one of the things that we saw most often or sought most often were like those features. And so, you know, evolutionarily, I guess we still are drawn to those because of that, um, which is interesting. Yeah. And that's even why we like rectangles, as they say, because our, our vantage point was like left to right. So, right. you know. Yeah. And our, our vision is, can see it within a rectangle, like, more easily than any other shape basically so we like rectangles and squares and that's why a lot of like or at least why they theorize a lot of um shapes that we use in in building stuff and are rectangles and squares but i also think that's just because it structurally works better <laughs> yeah you can't really build stuff with a bunch of circles it's gonna you can't build a house <laughs> with a bunch of circles and triangles <laughs> <laughs> they'll just roll off and stuff so there's there's other reasons that we like those shapes as well. <laughs> right. Um, um, but yeah. Do you have any quotes from this episode? Um, I think the only quote I had from this one, and I, I kind of did an approximation of it, um, is that the absence of beauty just makes for a very impro- impoverished life. No? What? I had one quote. <laughs> and they said, 
why are millions of people watching videos of cookies being iced? Yeah. And I, I, it connected with me because I can't even tell you how many videos of cookies and cakes and cupcakes I have watched of just people icing them and putting frosting on these things for I don't know, how many hours of my life have I been <laughs> watching that happen on YouTube? I don't even know, but it's a lot, especially since the start of the pandemic, because there's like a satisfying aspect of just like watching the perfect amount of frosting being put in you know the borders of a cookie <laughs> yeah it is it's very very appealing and you've never tried it watching these videos before yeah check it out <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and um speaking of instagram i guess or you know social media let's go on to plastic surgery plastic surgery um this this was an interesting episode for me because mm -hmm. i there's no part of me that wants to have surgery to like alter my body simply for an aesthetic reason. Mm -hmm. um, so I found I like I always have found it interesting that people do look for that. Um, I don't have anything wrong. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just find that desire interesting. Like that women Same. who want. To, make their boobs bigger or their butt bigger <laughs> like why or change their face or and it's kind of like you know a lot of the they're talking about how with the in, the advent of instagram and just you know then spreading all of these pictures of what is these face tuned faces um and sort of people presenting this ideal of beauty like the you know the kardashians or whatever um that you know like plastic surgery has increased dramatically to the point where like it's starting to shift that norm of like what is the what is considered like required beauty standards what is considered like not extreme anymore like you know they talk about how botox or like lip plumpers or like any of those filler type things used to be sort of like for people it was kind of considered extreme and right. of course now we're to the point where like everyone seems to have them and like they talk about it openly and it's something that everyone you know they'll be like oh i'm going to my weekly like <laughs> lip plumping ceremony or whatever um and then you know even things like they talked about the brazilian butt lift and stuff and how like even those sorts of things are becoming more mainstream so it's kind of like we're pushing the extremes of like what is considered sort of like recreational <laughs> surgery essentially versus an extreme method of body changing but. And they, they kind of like they talk about how plastic surgery started, which was in like right after World War One, mm -hmm. when all of these soldiers came home from battle with like, you know, horribly disfigured faces from shrapnel and gunfire. Um, and at the time, they didn't really have any they never like doctors had never had experience working on, you know, human bodies that were this damaged before right. World War One. Um, or the instances of where it were extremely rare before that point. Um, so they kind of needed to come up with a way of helping all of these soldiers. And I think they, at first they were making like masks to, that were like form fitted to the their face so that you, you couldn't see the damage underneath it. But then they started finding ways that they could actually go in and, and reconstruct the face, um, usually over a series of, you know, years of different surgeries trying to, to fix it more and more and more. But that was kind of the dawn of plastic surgery was to help people regain, you know, their lives back. And now it's transformed into, and, and it's been heavily transformed by social media 
where we actually have like a preference for an artificial way of looking um mm-hmm. which it's so it's kind of gone from like this really good thing <laughs> to like this harmful thing in our society um which is a very bizarre transition <laughs> Yeah, it is. And it kind of like, you know, your quote from the first episode was about how like the monkeys standing next to the other wants to be different or whatever. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like in a lot of way people still try to put that forward. And yet we have such this, we have such a desire among people, especially like younger people now, it seems to get these cosmetic procedures to make them look near identical, right? Right. So everyone wants the same nose, everyone wants the same thing. And yet they all want to be an individual, which makes it hard when you're trying to like, not be an individual, (laughs) essentially. I mean, we've, we've kind of like, normalized this very slim, big breasted, big boobed, very, um, you know, smooth round like face, you know, with like the same kind of like chin and nose with no hair anywhere except from the head. And like, this is like the ideal woman, like woman's body. And everybody is trying to have surgery to like transform themselves into the same body. But like you said, we still want to be unique and so they, it's kind of like contradicting ideas. Yeah. And I I really liked that they, um, one of the people who was talking, I wish I'd wrote down anyone's name, but I didn't. Um, she was talking about the fact that like, the only way to sort of like fix this is to start like posting pictures of like actually, you know, like to, to, the only way to reduce the amount of boob jobs, for example, is to just post like old and saggy and regular boobs, like all, all over the bus stop and like everywhere to normalize like, how this looks. And I do think that um, it's an interesting thing because obviously like plastic surgery is still a huge thing, but I do feel like we're starting to see people um, try to push that sort of idea that like what a regular body looks like is okay, you know? And maybe I just am like, maybe I uh, just follow people (laughs) who promote that, like Amanda Palmer and stuff, who's very been open about like what her natural body looks like. but I mean, I think that in one way we're trying to do that, but it's true that I, you know, I think that the ideal of beauty is still over, uh, of plastic surgery being the ideal of beauty is still sort of overshadowing that by a large margin, but. It is, yeah. Mm. And I, I think that there are still really good uses for plastic surgery, obviously, oh, yeah. people who have had, you know, breast cancer and had to have, you know, their breasts removed, the fact that we can basically make it look like that didn't happen is a really great thing. And all kinds of gender reaffirming or affirming surgeries are, you know, great. They allow people to exist more comfortably and more safely within the world. But I also think that largely due to social media, like young girls are getting the impression that their natural bodies are not good enough and that they should want to make changes to them through surgery. And that is not a good thing to be telling any young girls. <laughs> right, definitely not. And it's it's true that like, obviously I'm, I'm all for people doing whatever they want to make themselves feel happy about their looks. But it's, right. but it, it does come down to the fact that like, you know, even if someone's kind of like, I, you know, I'm going to get my nose job for me because I don't like my nose. At somewhere along the line of that person's life, it's, it's like society played a role in their self image of how they looked and why their nose wasn't good enough. So it's kind of like, it's for you. But in reality, 
it's not. It's right. It's society which forced this ideal of beauty on you, which you're not. Your your face doesn't match, so now you have feel this obligation to change it so that it looks, you know, quote natural or whatever, like right. natural. But like in, large in reality, it can't look any more natural than it already does. Like right. this is already what your natural nose looks like. You don't need to change it. It's already perfect. And I think that it, we need more of that being told to people. Like, if you truly are really unhappy with, you know, the way something looks, I absolutely think you should, you know, go for it and have the surgery. But, like, consider that you are already beautiful and, and perfect the way that it is. And you don't need to make these changes to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like, it was jarring to see. Like, I've heard that, for example, in South Korea, that plastic surgery is very, very common. But to hear the statistic that like one in three women in their 20s has had plastic surgery, that's insane. 20s, like no woman in their 20s should feel like they need to change their body with plastic surgery. (laughs) Right, like we don't start falling apart till our 30s. So like... (laughs) As we learn in, you know, the the Can We Live Forever episode, (laughs) we don't, we all start going downhill in our 30s. But, you know, in your 20s, you're still fine. Exactly. Oh, man. But yeah, yeah I, I, I do love the idea of we need more natural, real body representation in the media. Just put all the old, saggy, breastfeeding boobs all over the place so that women can see them and be like, oh, other people's boobs do look like that must be mine are fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, I think you mentioned, did you mention the, the, they talked a little bit about gender affirming surgeries. And I think those, you know, I think in that regard, that's a, for me, that's completely different to just like trying to want to better your aesthetic um, because of society. Like if you legitimately have a body that does not feel, you know, uh, natural to you, that's a completely different situation than, you know, your nose is too big or something. Right. No, I I did mention that earlier, you know, any surgery that's even like not not even you know full you know top or bottom surgeries but even just you know the facial feminization surgeries any surgery that allows somebody to feel more like like they're existing in the correct body and it's more safely within society like that's a different type of plastic surgery in my mind it's one that is almost necessary instead of being forced upon them by you know social media <laughs> right exactly but yeah did you have any quotes from this episode i have a couple um one i kind of said earlier um we need to normalize we've we've normalized a hairless body and we've done that globally like Mm -hmm. the idea that women shouldn't have hair anywhere on their body except for on top of their head is like the normal global standard um i don't believe that i haven't shaved my legs in years (laughs) there you go (laughs) um the only quote i wrote down and i i think i got it right was the one woman says I remember when white women were scared scared to have fat asses, and now everyone <laughs> wants one. Um, and the only other quote I wrote down was, ideally, we need to live in a world where we don't need to cut up our bodies to be our best selves. Yeah. Yep, I agree. There we go. All right. Do you want to talk about time next? Sure. Let's talk about think- time. I think I found this episode to be the most interesting because mm-hmm. the concept of time has always interested me. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like it is like very much about 
perspective and the way that like we are experiencing time from one person to the next is very different even though we can have a clock on the wall that's ticking at the same speed throughout the day the amount of time it might seem to me you know versus like my husband living in the same apartment like he might experience the passage of time much more differently if he's doing something stressful for work and i'm just chilling in my office you know our perceptions of how long the day are can be different in the same apartment um, so that's, it's just a very interesting, time is interesting. <laughs> time is very interesting. Yeah. And I like that they talked about like, so they go into a little discussion about Michel Sifre, who, um, did this sort of experiment where he lived two months in a cave with no signs of daytime, like nothing to give him any indication of what time it is. And he would just contact his research team, like when he woke up to be like, Hey, I'm alive. Right. Um, I found that interesting like it, that discussion which leads into like how we kind of all experienced something like that where we were that isolation went because of covid was really interesting because it's true that like you know for some people and, and how it was like 50 50 split with some people felt like the distortion of time was much longer during lockdown and some people who thought that it was much shorter right which is interesting but, but like more than 80% of people in surveys across multiple countries reported some type of distortion of time, whether it was slower or longer during, you know, the first lockdown of the pandemic. Um, so we were all, you know, very confused by that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is like, and it's true that, you know, I felt like sometimes during it, it did seem like, and then like the perception of time and the ability to like look into the past, which they also talk about as well. Is something that's really interesting as well because you know when you were going through it like sometimes it did feel like ages before you know like a week could feel like a month um right. but looking back now of course i don't even know where 2020 went so it's like an entire yeah. year feels like five minutes or so i so, mean we're almost to 2022 i know <laughs> and i don't even know how this is happening like <laughs> It's really, it's really like time is crazy. And then it, I feel like if you start thinking about it too much, you're, you begin to be like, oh God, like we're yeah. just hurtling towards the end, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did think it was interesting that they talk about, and I didn't even know this, that like most of our cells in our body have an internal 24-hour clock yeah. that roughly anyways and they theorize that that evolved from like the first single-celled organisms on the planet um evolving with like an understanding that they should divide at night when they're not in the sun instead of trying to divide when the sun is on them because the sun would like they would have a higher rate of like corruption in the dna if they divided during the day so cells learn to evolve at night when we're sleeping. And that's also when we still do most of our healing is when we're asleep during the night. Um, so we kind of evolved with this understanding of like what one day is, one, you know, full rotation mm -hmm. of the earth. Um, so that's like, that's, I think, the the purest form of time is like one rotation of the earth, one night and day cycle, because that's what is instinctually you know like what our instinctual understanding of time is <clears throat> exactly and then as humans we've just tried to break that down and be like ah there's 24 segments of 60 segments of 60 segments and we'll <laughs> call those seconds minutes and hours yeah and, 
and we've tried to like name it and and that doesn't always you know we're not always perceiving that the same but we kind of have a rough under rough like 24-hour natural cycle most people still have that yeah and that was another thing they found with um with Michel Sifre when he did his experiment is that like he more although there were some outlier days where he would like be awake for 27 hours and then sleep you know whatever um right. or, or vice versa but generally speaking he did get back into that you know that rhythm of like 24 hour segments of time right. you know which yep. is just so interesting and it was interesting that like yeah not even just humans but like all living creatures seem to have a 24 hour yeah. internal clock is just i mean it makes sense uh -huh. but it's, we all evolved from those same single-celled organisms that learned that you got to divide and heal at night. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That's so fascinating, though. Like, I'd never really thought of that. Like, I've heard yeah. about, like, the circ circadian clock or whatever, but, like, I don't know. I thought I always, <laughs> I always associate it with, like, people who are like, I have an internal, like, alarm, so I always wake up at 7 a.m. or whatever, um, yeah. which is not me. But... <laughs> <laughs> my parents have that like they wake up between 5 30 and 6 o'clock every day no matter what i don't think that they've ever sleep in past that anymore <laughs> that's crazy that's crazy to me but but um the other thing that they talk about in this episode is like the idea of time as a fourth dimension mm -hmm. which of course is something that people have always like theorized the idea that like there's space and time you know are, are two separate dimensions and if you can travel across one why can't you travel across the other but right as far as you know you can't travel through time right but at the same time we're all traveling through time constantly we are and i like <laughs> you know it's kind of like in a way it reminds me of the um, multiverse theory of like every single possibility that we, you know, in our life could be happening simultaneously, right? Like, I might have got a coffee this morning, but in another world, I did not, you know. But I right. find it kind of interesting, too, that, you know, there's this idea that the past, present, and future are also happening, in theory, simultaneously. Like, so everything is sort of already, everything that will happen has already happened, and right. everything happening now has already happened. It's just, it's a really interesting way of looking at things, which is hard, I think, to wrap your mind around, too, like... It is. I'm not sure that I buy into the whole idea that like everything that, you know, like that the, the past and the present and the future are all kind of happening simultaneously. That doesn't really speak to me or make sense to me, but I also am open to any possibilities. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> like... I don't really think that time travel is a possibility. Mm hmm. Yeah. And they all seem, they mentioned that as well, that like, even if time travel were a possibility, like everyone's pretty much like sure that like the only way you would be able to travel is forward like there's no right. there's no way of revisiting the past to you know change anything i think the implication right. because part in part you know the implications of changing anything in the past could be detrimental to it'd be unstabling for like the entirety of the universe in some ways well, that's true too but but i did like um they talked about this as well with uh, they mentioned New Year's to talk about how, like, you know, the one astronaut was saying that he um, sees New Year's as a really special time because, like, everyone across the entire world, regardless of culture, is celebrating, like, the switch from one year to the next. Right. And, um, you know, and celebrating that movement uh, through time into the, quote, future. And I think it's fascinating because, I don't know about you, but, like, it's true that there is something special feeling on, like, 
New Year's Eve where you're like, yeah. ooh, we're going from like 2021 to 2020. Like it's very like exciting. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it feels um, like there's potential or something. I actually, the quote, I'm going to read a quote. It's um, on the very same day every year, the entire world comes together to mark another spin around of our planet around the sun, counting the beats of time's steady march forward as the future rushes into the present. And after a fleeting moment of now, it vanishes into the past. Mm. Gives yeah. me chills. There is like something magical about new year's eve and it's something that like only the humans like species experiences there's no other like species of animal that sits around getting excited that we're going from one year into the next but like we as a society have placed like this monumental like importance on on marking that passage of time um with a celebration and it's something that i feel almost everybody feels that it's you know a little bit special in some way Mm -hmm. that's true but yeah that's pretty much time did you have any other quotes from time no that was my only quote from that episode do you have any quotes from it i do not oh all right all right (laughs) so talking about time let's jump into back to season one (laughs) to the episode can we live forever can we live forever and my initial thought is no no organic life can live forever no it's true perhaps our consciousness can (laughs) i mean yeah yeah it's a lot of interesting things were brought up in this episode and it's true that like you know i think the most the most critical thing that was brought up is that like a lot of people have this obsession in terms of living forever to extend the current like life expectancy from like you know, the, I think the average life expectancy they said is like 73 or something around the world now. But like right. people are kind of obsessed with trying to extend 73 to the maximum of 120. And right. it's like that's someone, one of the scientists or specialists at the end said something like that shouldn't be our goal. Um, our goal should be extending life from the youngest to getting every single person to that average life expectancy because the mortality rate in a lot of places is still incredibly low. So it's like we should make sure that all of the seven-year-olds can live to 73 versus trying to push like our old age into an even older age um, just because, you know, we want to have extra time. Um, And I like that they kind of touched about too that like if every society had people who lived to 120, like that ultimately could be very problematic um, for us in terms of like being able to financially support ourselves um, right. th- through like quote retirement. Cause in theory that could be like 60 years of retirement. Yeah. Well, I guess like if we all, if we increased our life expectancy on average to 120 years, we'd all just be working until we were a hundred. It would be about the only option. It would in that be. Um, so I guess we would all have to have like healthier bodies that were able to continue working for the first hundred years of your life. But uh, right. <laughs> no, I don't see that happening. But but at the same time, they also mentioned that 200 years ago, the average life expectancy was 40. Yeah. So it's increased to 72 in the past 200 years. So we've already gained 32 years in life expectancy in just 200 years. So in another 200 years, the average life expectancy could easily be 100 
So, it, you know, that's not out of the realm of possibility um, because largely due to advances in, in medical science mm-hmm. and the more availability of um, medications and antibiotics and fresh water and nutrition around the world have already allowed us to live, you know, on average 30 years longer than 200 years ago. Yeah, I did like that they made a point of saying that um, although that although life expectancy has, you know, increased dramatically, um, that it's still the case that like those who were prone or like who made it to old age, the average old age hasn't really increased that much. I think they said it went from like 79 to 86 or something. So like, it's not, you know, like if you were destined to like, if you didn't get any of the preventable diseases or anything like viruses that could be easily avoided or any of those sort of like things that used to kill people off early before the advent of medicine, um, that ultimately you're not living much more than you would have been, which is all right. due, of course, to like the rate at which cells um, multiply and then die out and right. and all of that stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's interesting to yeah. see that old age has been basically the same. If you right. if you made it there, <laughs> it was okay. around the same, you know. <laughs> I think they like they also they talk about um, like when they were researching why do we age like what is causing aging to happen they found that like most cells only divide an average of 50 times before the division stops and the cells start to die and that's kind of what starts the aging process is our cells are starting to die they're no longer able to like regenerate themselves and continue to provide us with youth. Um, but they found that cancer cells don't have that limit. They don't mm-hmm. ever need to stop dividing. They, they have like uh, an essentially an infinite number of times that they can divide. So they are actually thinking that they could learn how to stop aging from cancer cells and like studying them more, which was a very interesting concept. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's true, you know, that, you know, you want to study the the source that shows an endless possibility even if it is you know detrimental to our health <laughs> right detrimental to <laughs> our health that shows that stopping you know they're the genetically modifying cells so that they don't stop dividing would be detrimental to our health because it would essentially be turning them into types of cancer cells which is not something that they said in the episode, but it's something that I thought of, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if that's like the cells that we are producing that don't stop dividing our cancer cells, we don't really want to make all of our cells into those. <laughs> right. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a great idea. Um, yeah. But we are, we are obsessed with, as a society with like anti-aging and, you know, staying young and youthful. The anti-aging industry, they said was worth more than $250 billion dollars which is insane. It's completely insane. But it's 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 interesting that with the talk of uh, with the cancer cells, they made a point of saying that like curing cancer would only extend like you know the old the oldest range of the average by like four years. Right. Um, but it's true that like of course, curing cancer also like the point of of that kind of goes back to the idea of like getting seven-year-olds to 79 right it's kind of like the main benefit of finding the cure for cancer which everyone is sort of like talking about really isn't for the people who are like 89 and suffering from end-stage cancer or whatever it's like to give the people who are 
you know, like children with cancer, like young adults with cancer, etc., the ability to overcome that and then live to the ideal average life expectancy, essentially, right. which is important. Exactly. But um, they did, you know, in their discoveries, they talked about like this DAF2 gene or whatever, um, which is tied to insulin production, I guess. And so essentially by reducing the amount of insulin in the body, um, in rats at least, or mice at least, in worms, um, they showed that that causes like the body to sort of like re, like slow down its like cell cell division essentially, which then turns it into, allows it to live longer. Um, Right. Which is a curious thing to think about too, but I wonder like if that were to happen to humans, they showed that, that with mice, they only lived 50% longer. So if the, if the, the mouse was going to live like five years, it lived like seven and a half or whatever, but right. it's, um, but that I would want... be a huge increase with humans if we oh, were yeah. to live 70 years to live an additional 35 years beyond that, just by basically, I mean, basically by cutting sugar out of our time. <laughs> <laughs> right. which is like like is tied in with insulin it's it's the sugar that's killing us <laughs> it's kind of interesting though because like in theory then uh, if it would if we're really going to like reduce insulin and stuff like that um from like birth in theory you know would that not also delay all of the regular human processes because like would that mean that yeah. instead of going through puberty in our teens or in our like you know Early transitioning teens. from yeah like you know, 12 or whatever, would we then not be doing that for an, until like, you know, 18, yeah. <laughs> 20? I don't know. Yeah, that would be, it, so, I, we wouldn't know that for a long time, probably. <laughs> yeah, because in theory, we would all be younger longer would be the goal. Because like none of these life extension things are really like, the goal isn't to like reach old age by, you know, 75 or whatever, and then live another (laughs) 60 years as like a terribly old person. Like that's not great. No, you don't want to be just decrepit and and live (laughs) 120. That wouldn't be great. But they talk about um, like going off the idea of that that gene that was prolonging the life in, in mice and worms we already have like almost accidentally a little bit of proof of the role insulin plays in aging because there's a a type two diabetes drug called metformin and that helps with, you know, the production and regulation of insulin in people's bodies. And they found that on average, somebody who was a type two diabetic that took metformin for many years lived several years longer than somebody who didn't have type two diabetes at all and wasn't taking metformin. Um, so you could argue, you know, certainly that perhaps the people who were taking metformin were also just taking better care of their health in general because they had already True. had type 2 diabetes and were just more health conscious than the people who didn't have it. But there is at least a reason to to wonder if metformin might already be helping with preventing aging. Right. And I feel like the only way we would ever really know for sure would be to like, and obviously we would never do this because human trial testing is not really um smiled upon but you would basically have to give like a baby a newborn you would have to start giving them metformin or like some sort of drug that affects that gene like immediately and then throughout their entire life see what the extent of the progress would be right I suppose you could also wait and start taking it when you were like 21 or something like after you're all, all the way through puberty and your brain has developed into an adult and then just to see if taking it metformin for the rest of your life 
prolonged your life and and your aging process you know did you Mm. look like an 80 year old by the time you got to be 80 or did you still look like you were 60 you know kind of thing um giving it to you know babies yeah i mean (laughs) although it's you know that would be by 20 by your 20s you're almost already through your cell division process so it's like yeah you know it's it's one of the quotes from this episode is by the time we're in our 30s aging is accelerating and i felt that one deep in my soul (laughs) (laughs) yep definitely (laughs) but um um, but yeah um i don't think and we live forever i guess i've heard before too that scientists have theorized that the first human to live to 150 has already been born so ah yeah maybe maybe we'll see that in our lifetime yeah could be maybe it's one of us probably not yeah hey who you never know (laughs) yoga yeah you're if it's going to be either of us it'll be you so let me you you never know (laughs) i'll come back and haunt you so you can let me know how your 150 years is going please do please come um but yeah interesting things everyone also make sure you start saving your money because if you do live to be 120 you're probably going to be broke and destitute so right. you know if you're gonna, if you're planning to live into your hundreds maybe don't retire in your 60s because you're going to yeah. need money for you know another 40 or 50 years beyond that which is just so depressing to think about it is well i mean realistically the amount of time that we work has been increasing as our life expectancy has been increasing over the past 200 years as we went from living to 40 to living to 70 the amount of time that we've worked in our lives has gone from you know working till 35 to working till 65 so if our life expectancy continues to go up to 120 we're going to be working until we're 90 because that's yeah. it was, they're both are just going to have to increase together because we can't have half the population simply not working with the, with the way society has, you know, set itself up. There would certainly be ways that it could work, but probably not ones that people are going to embrace. Right. <laughs> True that. But yeah, I think that's pretty much can we live forever? And the answer is currently no. <laughs> currently no. Uh, any lingering <laughs> quotes from this episode? Um, I don't seem to have any, no. Do you have any more? I have one more, um, and it's they're talking about the idea of living forever as a machine, which we actually oh, didn't yeah. talk about. Um, the idea that you could place your consciousness into a computer before you die, and whether, like, currently we can't do that, but, like, whether or not that's even a possibility, and the one person said about it, my consciousness, I think, is deeply connected with its biological existence in my brain, and I have to say that I agree with that entirely, and even if people found a way to move consciousness from one to the other, I would not be jumping on that boat. I think that that is not a thing that we should be doing yeah it kind of reminds me of sent junipero from um yes. black mirror yeah. right which was a cute idea but not something i would do <laughs> yeah definitely but yeah, so that's pretty much our five episodes here a loose theme of time and aesthetics aging. and aging <laughs> um but yeah so um Thank you for listening, everyone. If you would like to let us know what you thought about these episodes, you can reach out to us on Twitter at NNO Podcast. Or you can send us an email at navigatingnetflixoriginals at gmail.com. And as always, feel free to send us suggestions of shows or movies that are Netflix originals that you would like us to talk about. Um, There's a good chance that we will take you up on your offer (laughs) or on your suggestion and talk about them if you send them to us. Indeed. 
So on that note, bye. bye.